Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Laura Colina on the Roar Miami, FIU student radio station 95.3 FM, 96.9 in North Miami, and 88.1 in Homestead. You can listen to us online anytime and anywhere at theroar.miami and find us on social media by at theroarfiu. And request lines are open at 305-348-3575. That's 305-FIU-3575. And the purpose of this talk show is to educate, participate in, and with the community on topics such as veganism, animal and environmental rights, as well as human rights. Because let's face it, if we don't have our own rights, it makes it much harder to defend those that need us the most. And I hope everyone is having a fantastic week and Wednesday night. These past couple of days have been extremely emotional for me and I wanted to share it with you guys on the show this week. But before I get into that, I think it's important for you guys to know a little bit about me before I dive into the topic of today and what I'm going to say coincides with the topic perfectly. So let's begin. So as I've mentioned on the show before, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela on the 19th of May, 1992 and raised by two wonderful women, my mother and my grandmother. I was raised in a Venezuelan Portuguese family and proudly posed on Christmas with a Portuguese flag in the background, knowing where my family came from and where I am now. I'm honored to be born in a country like Venezuela and be part of my family that comes from Madeira, fleeing the dictatorship of Antonio de Oliveira Salazar in Portugal. As to how I became so involved in politics in my country, I have two individuals to thank. First, my mother, who would get so mad seeing how the then-democratic channel Globovision would post the reality of what was happening in the country and then show me, still very pissed off, how the government channels showed fake news. I left Venezuela first when I was five years old to the United States and it welcomed me with open arms. Free from hate, it felt like diving into freedom, freedom of speaking freely, and I became an immigrant at a very young age. I always knew where I come from and no matter where I went, I said that I am proud to be Venezuelan. Some people leave their country and emerge into other cultures and somehow forget where they came from or don't show importance to their past nor what is currently going on in their home country. I've seen this happen with other immigrants from all around the world. Everyone is different, but in my case, Venezuela was and is my home. I knew this even though I didn't truly experience the Venezuelan way of life until I went back there when I was 12 years old. I felt this warmth and electricity at the same time to be back in the place that I was born in 1992. I don't know how to explain it, but from the moment I moved back, my heart grew and got attached to Venezuela and I fell in love with everything it had and has. Driving and experiencing the streets of Caracas was my daily high and I was happy to finally learn the history and every dent in the streets and how everything worked. The movement of the people, how Venezuelan society functions, and the way of the people. Being acquainted to where one was born, to be on my land and have such a connection with everything it stands for is one of the best things that has ever happened to me. It's knowing that I pledge my heart and my life to Venezuela. I did all this soul searching on the streets of Caracas, Venezuela, not knowing Spanish. See, I was born in Caracas, but I forgot the language by the time I was five as I learned English. When I'm asked which 
which language is my first one. It's Spanish, but I feel like it's English and that has always showed how I've experienced more than one culture and put my experience and knowledge into improving and falling in love with my own. I learned the Venezuelan way of speaking and loved the accent and was proud to always have it. I never could have a full acento caraqueño. But sometimes it does come out, and when it does, I'm always told that it's so obvious that I come from Caracas, the capital of this wonderful and vibrant country. Caracas isn't just the capital, though. It's a place where I had the chance to meet people from every part of the country. I met people from Valencia, Maracaibo, Merida, Ciudad Bolívar, and every other section of Venezuela that exists. Meeting all these people from all these cities and states showed me the beauty of Venezuela as well. How Maracaibo provides the country with mass amounts of oil and the traditional music genre gaitas, which originated from people from El Estado del Zulia as a form of protest against the government. I listen to gaitas every year during the month of December, and this has been going on since I was a baby and I never get bored of it. I have family in Valencia, Ciudad Bolívar, friends from Merida, and so many other places. Did you know that Venezuela apart from the oil reserves it has, also has the second largest gold reserves in the world, located in Bolivar. Venezuela also has uranium, diamonds, iron ore, natural gas, petroleum, and gold, among others. And as if that were a lot, Venezuela also has amazing landscapes throughout the entire country, from beautiful beaches in Los Roques, the mountains of Los Andes, the highest waterfall stated to be one of the must-see places and wonders of the world, El Santo Angel. I went there when I was on a class field trip and out of all the places I've been in my life, the image of the majestic and wonderful waterfall doesn't escape my mind. It's unforgettable and I was born in the country where all this exists. Where there's also Los Medanos de Coro, which is a desert, and let's not forget La Gran Sabana y Los Tepuis en Roraima. Venezuela is an absolute beauty and I am a part of it. I thank Venezuela for giving me the opportunity to belong to her and represent her miles away. Especially since her beauty has attempted to be diminished various times throughout history. There was the dictatorship of Perez Jimenez, Juan Vicente Gomez, Hugo Chavez, and his predecessor, Nicolás Maduro. Venezuela has recovered from every downfall it has had, but Chavez worked very hard to break Venezuela, despite him saying that he wanted better for the people. Look how the people are now, getting murdered, dying from lack of food, and dying from curable diseases from a scarce amount of medicine available to the Venezuelan people. Hugo Chavez changed the constitution in 1999. He changed the name of the republic to República Bolivariana of Venezuela, changed the flag and symbol, and gave himself the opportunity to have more power. The military also had much more power, and the people have suffered to get rid of the Chavista regime since I was five years old. Chavez wasn't as bad as Maduro in a way, but he changed a lot of what was happening in the country, and it was also horrible when Chavez ordered for the education system to teach history differently. Chavez wanted future generations to essentially be brainwashed by changing what is taught to future generations in schools and banning certain literature and censoring information in the media. He worked hard to weaken Venezuela and now he's dead, as harsh as that sounds. He died in Cuba in 2013 despite others stating that he died in Venezuela earlier than was announced and his own family went along with a plot to name Maduro the next president. Even his own family played a role. That's disgusting. 
Now, Maduro's regime has exploited these extraordinary and unique minerals that Venezuela has, allowing from China, Russia, even Turkey, and probably others to enter the country to allow Maduro money to stay in power. And yes, Maduro has raised the minimum wage, but also raised inflation simultaneously, which has caused a collapse in Venezuela's economic system. And we had hope in 2015 when the opposition won the National Assembly, but it didn't last long because the members of the National Assembly that had originally decided to leave named a new Supreme Court justice that took away the power of the National Assembly. There was a recall that was unsuccessful because the CNE, which controls the election process, didn't allow it. The CNE, Consejo Nacional Electoral, was and is controlled by the government, they're Maduro's people, and they're in control of the votes. Now, fast forward to 2017, the dictator Nicolás Maduro announced a constituent national assembly in order to redraft the constitution that Chávez had already changed in 1999. After, there were illegal elections where the newly elected governors that were from the opposition were not even recognized and allowed to do their job because they were refused to be part of the new Constituent National Assembly. The illegal presidential election occurred as well since it was not congruent with international law. In other words, it was a violation of what little freedom Venezuela had left in its justice system. This happened on May 20th of last year, 2018, and he allegedly won even though there was an abstention of people not going to vote of 84%. With the people dying of hunger, lack of medicine, families being separated, how could people People possibly support this government. The truth is that they didn't. They don't support the dictatorship and since the electoral process is controlled by the illegal government, of course the elections were rigged. The path toward the end of democracy in Venezuela was halted. There were no legitimate elections, so according to the constitution, when there is no one occupying the presidential role, the president of the legitimate National Assembly has the constitutional right and power to assume the role of president of Venezuela. Venezuela. This is not a decision that was taken lightly, since none of us truly believed it was going to happen. Was this it? The chance for Venezuela to have an opening so democracy could rule once again? The president of the National Assembly, Juan Guaido, accepted the responsibility of his role and declared on the 23rd of January to be the day where people went out to the streets and protest for Venezuela. As for me, on January 23rd, I woke up asking myself if anything would actually happen. People got up, went out to the streets from very early, and the energy displayed amongst all Venezuelans was different. We knew something could happen. Before the 23rd of January, Venezuelans were also dying in protest, speaking up for their fundamental rights, as if the other ways Venezuelans die daily, even as we speak, weren't enough. At 1 p.m., Juan Guaido spoke to the Venezuelan people, and after stating what we already knew of all the corruption that has happened in the country and what needs to change, he asked for everyone to raise their right hand to make an oath and accepted the executive presidential power and for everyone to work to restore democracy and implement the constitution in matters of the country. Laws needed to be obeyed. Juan Guaido is now interim president of Venezuela. Out of all the countries in the world, United States, Japan, Argentina, Paraguay, Chile, Brazil, Ecuador, Colombia, France, and Canada, Austria, Czech Republic, Denmark, Germany, Estonia, Finland, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, 
Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Spain, Sweden, and the United Kingdom, among even more, support the transition of government in Venezuela. What happens now? We are all anxious to know. It's a long path from now. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. And change is now happening. I mean, Nicolás Maduro asked for all diplomats of the United States to leave the country in 72 hours, and Guaido replied as president that diplomats were to stay in the country. How badass is that? Then the government changed it to 30 days. Before, the Maduro regime spoke harshly, and no matter how bad it was, hardly anyone stood up, and those who did suffered the consequences. Now, the same regime isn't as powerful anymore, isn't taken as serious in the sense of knowing that whatever was said would not be changed because there was so much corruption. The corruption exists, but Guaido brings with him a movement of stepping up and taking responsibility for not only the future of his country, the future of his daughter Miranda Eugenia in Venezuela, but also the responsibility of fighting for Venezuela. He gives us Venezuelans hope where there was none, proves us constantly that he isn't afraid of going out to the streets, being with the people that need help, of speaking out against corruption and doing this while upholding the constitution and the ideals of democracy. He is barely a 35-year-old engineer and his wife Fabiana Rosales is my age, 26, who majored in journalism and is also an activist and active in politics. They are a young couple determined to change the course of Venezuela's history. Change is happening, and I thank not only my mother for everything, but my grandmother as well, for choosing to move to Venezuela at a young age, for teaching me what it means to stand up for what we believe in and expressing ourselves with the truth. My grandmother also helped me to get attracted to politics and journalism, being one of many Venezuelans that listened to Globovision in the background while eating lunch with family. What's beautiful is that she wasn't born in Venezuela. She's Portuguese, and she loves Venezuela so much, she refuses to leave. I've spoken to her numerous times knowing that she has barely any food in her house and every once in a while she can't find her medicine to control her high blood pressure, but she refuses to get the carnet de la patria, which is the ID from the government that many others got in order to get access to food. My grandmother shows me time and time again that one must not back down when times are tough, to stick with what one believes, to love deeply, work with passion, and be happy. These values I also see with my mom and I can't thank you both enough for letting me pursue my passion of speaking and documenting the truth through journalism. Because in the end, if it weren't for their support, I wouldn't be working where I am today, at the TV station IVC and working in production with Cesar Miguel Rondon. In my 26 years of life, I never thought that during a historic moment in Venezuela, I would be working with him in studio, knowing that the news that day was broadcasted with a different attitude, with a different tone, and that the end of the 20-year dictatorship was near, and it's too late to stop or turn back. Interim President Juan Guaido smiles and fights for Venezuela and speaks the truth. When it's for Venezuela, it's all worth it, and a smile in the middle of a dictatorship is a clear sign of rebellion. Not his exact words, but it's a rebellion nonetheless. And thank you so much for listening to Laura Colina, which is also on social media by searching Laura Colina, L-A-B-R-O-C-C-O-L-I-N-A on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow my Twitter, Nelida Coelho, N-E-L-I-D-A-C-O-E-L-H-O. Stay tuned and I'll be right back with you.
Having left the country 10 years ago, I've had to watch events unfold from Venezuela from the outside, doing what I could in order to help. Surprisingly, I'm not the only one that left so many years ago, and more and more Venezuelans have left the country. I didn't leave during the refugee crisis. I didn't leave because of the humanitarian crisis. I left just before the price of the dollar was getting more and more expensive, and things were about to get bad. That was in 2009. It's been a long time. And just the thought of going back soon, even if it's to visit or to help, is a big deal. I'm proud to say that I'm not the only one that experiences the notion of having to watch what happens to Venezuela from the outside. And I say I'm proud because it's good to know that wherever I am, there's so many Venezuelans going through the same thing so we can support each other. Because it feels like we're alone in it. But even for us, Venezuelans who left years ago, we're a big group. Who would have thought that in the process of getting involved in reporting, I would find more people that left during the same time I did? People who are passionate and so in love with their country that they make sure they inform how bad it is back home. Inform with real facts, nothing fake. The reality of the Venezuelan humanitarian and refugee crisis. The reality of what Venezuelans are going through, both in the country and around the world. For today's show, I have Adriana Kohlhofer here to talk about her article, An Open Letter to U.S. Democratic Socialists from Venezuelan Expatriates, written on January 29th on Medium.com. Thank you so much, Adriana, for coming to the show today. I recently found your article called An Open Letter to U.S. Democratic Socialists from Venezuelan Expatriates on Medium.com. So thank you first for being on the show today and for writing this article, which is pretty important for people to know. Thank you so much for the invitation and and getting our voice out there, our message across. Uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) 
No, of course. And I love how you put the article and you start with attention, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilham Omar, Rokana, and the entire Democratic Socialist wing of the Democratic Party, which is uh, very to the point, especially because in my case, when I went on Twitter on the other day, and I'm not a big Twitter fan, but you know, with this whole thing of what's happening to our country, the news isn't really on TV rather than it. Social media is the way that people are communicating and getting the information out there. And um, it's actually very sad to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar speaking about how it's more important to I don't know, be focused on Mexico or other things rather than Venezuela, especially in the case of Ilan Omar. She's a refugee from Somalia. And the fact that she she came here and her story is basically uh, when she was elected into Congress, she stated, you know, um, I came as a refugee and now I'm being sworn in. And to see that type of image not support a country that's just dying from hunger and other things, it's just sad. So right. is this... This letter is strictly for them. So um, I guess let's let's step back a little a little bit. My intention, I guess, or the inspiration for this letter and why I wrote it, the same way as you were disappointed when you read those tweets. I was brought to my attention because I discuss with friends a lot. Um, Congresswoman um, Ocasio Cortez's policies, new policies. I actually. I admire them a lot. They, I think they're breaking a lot of barriers um, in Congress right now as women. And it was just extremely disappointing um, to, see, to see their position um, of our beloved country. Um, I think we have to start that. Venezuela right now is probably the worst humanitarian crisis the world has ever seen. Um, Chavez got into power 20 years ago, died. Maduro succeeded him and then essentially held a sham election where he forced people for him by either job or threatening them to not give him bags of food. The, the um, exodus, there's been 3 million people that have left uh, Venezuela. To put it in context, that's the size of Brooklyn in New York. Um, the UN per- projects that there, there will be 5 million people that are going to leave. That, those are proportions of Syrian war. So my message to Senator Sanders, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, um, sorry, Congresswoman Omar and Congressman Khanna is that they were elected by their, their, constitu- their, their people. They voted, they voted for them because they conveyed that they cared about the people now it's crucial and now it's time to prove that you care they care about all people the three million venezuelans that left the the venezuelans that are still suffering back home this is not about discussion of left or right this is not about political labels or a political debate of ideologies this is a humanitarian crisis um and that's that was my i i had all these emotions and was very frustrated, and this letter was the best way to express myself, and I feel in the most efficient way. I had a lot of support from my friends, a lot of support from my family. I've had very, very well um, positive feedback overall, and um, 
you know, I just feel honored and humbled really to get my message across on behalf of all men and Zons that are suffering. It's, it's been enough. It's been 20 years of, of atrocities. It has to stop. No, I, 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 I mean, I obviously agree with you. Um, in the sense of your article, since you did mention the democratic socialists, what is your opinion on democratic socialism? So I, I just, I want to, um, I guess, reiterate my message that this shouldn't be about um, democratic socialists. And this is like, this was my intention of the of the letter, that the debate of Venezuela. Oh no, of course, of course. It's just yeah. the the thing is that you know, and for example, uh, let me give you an example. When you know we come from Venezuela, so in Venezuela there's the opposition party, and then there's the uh, party with the government, and then you come here to the United States, and you have different types of um, of political parties. And, you know, coming from back home where we see how there are Democrats and then there are Democrat like people in the opposition that are bought. And then, you know, we see we have our own vibe of politics and we come here and we hear something as democratic socialism. Uh, it's kind of, at least in my sense, it's a little um, it's a little uh, like a question is asked just because. Um, from my memory, I mean, I'm 26. I was five, six years old when Chavez went into power. And um, from what I remember, he came into power saying socialism was good and you know, the touch of socialism was there. And you see on Fox News how uh, they compare socialism to what's going on in Venezuela. So um, obviously the article that you wrote is not specific for democratic socialists. It's not to mention, um, like, only Democrats read this. It's something for the public. But I just want to, like, hear your opinion on the idea that democratic socialists are speaking out on these subjects and just the definition of what your opinion is on the on democratic socialism. So I think I, I agree with, actually, with some of their, their platform and, and new ideas, especially all their green initiatives. I think it's very it's a very important conversation to have, um, just because of the state of the world. Um, also, there's take on immigration and healthcare, um, but I think in a, the democratic socialism may work in the U.S. because there's actually a democracy here, and there's actually a space where laws are respected, where laws can be implemented, and there's a healthy debate. The problem with comparing this to what's happening in Venezuela is that there is no democracy in Venezuela. There is no space for debate. If you're, if you oppose the regime, you'll, you will go to jail or you'll be forced to leave the country. So I think it's, it's comparing like apples to oranges here. You can, you can, there's a space to debate and try it out. And if it doesn't work, change. I mean, that's why, Newly elected Congress is now majority de Democratic. Before it was Republican. It's it's constantly changing. And that's actually good. There's a space for new ideas um, to be played out, 
um, and there's a respect for the law, but that doesn't exist in Venezuela. So I guess that's that's kind of the point of my letter too. It's like you you, you can't compare socialism or democratic house socialism to what's happening in Venezuela because it's it's far it's 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 not even close to comparison. You can't compare them. No, of course, and the yeah, what works in one country doesn't work in another. Exactly, exactly. So that there's there's some countries it does work a lot of european countries it does work um but again i think there's also respect for laws and 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 respect for democracy so um i think that's again going back to the main point of the letter our our fight for democracy yes and in your article you mentioned, uh, obviously, the correct term. And I say obviously because, you know, if one goes into the details of the Venezuelan constitution and just sees the rules, um, how they're made, it's, um, it's how it's drawn out that in the absence of a president, uh, the presidency um, position is vacant, the president of the National Assembly is to step in and swear himself in. That is what Juan Guaido did on the 23rd of January. Did you believe that he was going to do it? Yes. Yes, and I know it came um, a little bit recent to to the world, I guess. He was kind of uh, relatively unknown until January. Um, But the opposition has been very clear. I actually applaud him because I think he's very brave. There's a lot of risks of him doing that. We've seen the the regime go after main the main opposition leaders again and again. They actually um, try to kidnap him and then release him. Um, I, I believe it was the second week of January. So um, I did believe he was going to do it and I actually applaud him because I think it's very brave what he's doing. Um, he is the face of all Venezuela and our hopes and dreams and our constant battle for democracy. So um, he actually, he kind of reminds me a little bit of President Obama <laughs> as well. Um, and, you know, I think he's, he's like a, he's a rock star. He's a millennial. He, I, I, I applaud him. And I think all Venezuela is, is rooting for him and, we, we just want to get out of this peacefully. No, I completely agree. I remember I was at, I was at work when he, he swore himself in and the moment where he, he said like, I, I, de- um, I declare or something and he yeah. rose his hand. Oh my God. I, I was like, do I cry? <laughs> do I not cry? Is this really happening? It was, yes. I was um, I was at work as well, and then I was at a meeting. I got out, and my one of my coworkers goes, "Oh, you're the president!" <laughs> it was it was so exciting. And then I I joined here the concentration in, in New York City. It was the rest of Venezuelans here, and there was flags, and it was just exciting. Um, it, it it was the energy you could just feel it. Um, there is actually someone that came, um, from, from 
the Maduro regime to the protest, and he had, they had to they had to take him out. The, the the police had to take him out because he <laughs> was just disturbing the protest. Um, and it you know we're all very excited and we're all very hopeful. You know. Yeah, it's a it's a new it's this. I don't even know what to call it, but it's like a breath of fresh air in the sense that it, like something can actually Absolutely. happen, and you know, our people will, at one point, very soon, stop dying from unnecessary causes like lack of medicine, lack of food. They won't have to find food in garbage cans. They, they will actually have a chance to live their lives without all of the injustices that happen and it's just it's an amazing thing to see I, I wanted to ask you you're in New York yeah when did you leave Venezuela so I left Venezuela when I was 17 years old um, it was um, around the time that Chavez first closed the RCTV um, TV station um, they were highly critical against the government um, I remember <laughs> like participating in student protests. And uh, I actually applied to school to, to study in Caracas, but my dad was like, you're, you're out of your mind. <laughs> so I came to New York City when I was um, just 17. I've been here almost 11 years. Um, started school at Marymount Manhattan College, then transferred to upstate New York uh, to a school called Rensselaer Politic Institute. Uh, studied business management, Came back to New York City, um, worked in Bank of America, then Goldman Sachs, um, and now I work at a startup. It's called Earnest Research. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm lucky and grateful to call New York City uh, my home for the past 11 years. But, um, you know, we are all hopeful and there's no place like home, right, that at least having the opportunity to go back to Venezuela or, you know, the option, uh, rather. Um, so I think that's Venezuelans that are, that have had, have been forced to leave. Um, I think we all have the same dreams or expectations. And do you plan on going back if, um, and I say if, because, uh, you never know, even though I'm kind of an optimist myself, but <laughs> I'm here. really scared of of just like getting too worked up on, oh my God, this will happen and then something not happening. I think that if something doesn't happen, um, in my case, my heart will really break <laughs> into pieces I just because yeah, I think it's, um, it's... I'm one of those that <laughs> cried in every single election that Maduro or Chavez took over. I cried like a baby, I know, so I, I, I can't I, go through that again. I know. Um, look, um, I don't think it's, it's out of the question. I would, I would love to have at least the option, at least to go back to visit. You know, I haven't been back to Venezuela in four years. I, I miss it. I miss home. I miss the beaches. I miss the people. I miss the food. Um, so, yeah, I would love to have the option, you know. And you're from Maracaibo? I was born in Maracaibo, yes. Um, that's uh, near Colombia. And I, but I actually grew up in Puerto La Cruz, um, beautiful city in the east side of Venezuela. It's by the beach. 
Um, I grew up going to the beach every weekend and I, I really miss it, especially this time of year when it's really cold <laughs> in New York City. Uh, you know, the, the tropical blood never seems to, um, never seems to help with the, the cold weather. <laughs> yeah. It's actually beautiful how, um, how now when we talk about Venezuela and Venezuelans being in the United States, we are from everywhere and we're from like you from Maracaibo, um, me from Caracas, there's people from Valencia all over the place and you find people on every single corner and um it's just it's amazing to have this energy and have this support from this country that allowed us to come with no judgment just wanting a better life and absolutely absolutely um, it's it's a beautiful thing i wanted to ask you one thing because i really want to know your opinion the media is stating that juan guaido is self-declared self-proclaimed just why do you think uh, the media would say something like that instead of actually explaining why um, he did what he did or what his actual um, position is, which is president-elect. Right. Um, so I guess it's, to clarify, it's interim president. But I think because people, the media are probably not aware of the articles of our Constitution. And, um, you know... It's, it doesn't help that they're not aware of the, of the Articles of the Constitution. It, the, I think the second factor is that there's so much censorship from the, the regime that it's hard to get real news out of Venezuela. Like you mentioned in the beginning, we get our news sources from Twitter and social media. Like it's, it's, it's hard to get the real source of information if you don't go down there yourself and get it. Um, unfortunately, the regime put in like not put in jail, they kidnapped 11, uh, 11 journalists. Many of them were foreigners. So I think it's just, it's hard to get the real source. Um, there are a couple of outlets that do um, know exactly what's, what's been going on and have been reporting accurately. I think one of those is the Wall Street Journal. Um, but it's, that, you know, that was my intention of the letter too. There's a lot of misinformation going on. Um, just people that just don't know anything about Venezuela, um, posting stuff like self-proclaimed. So my intention of the letter was also to clarify the misinformation going on in this very complex and developing, um, situation. Oh, and you, you did a perfect job at it because, um, when I read the article, I was like, I know what she's feeling because I'm a student of international relations and, you know, I speak to people yeah. and people say these things. It's like, no, that's not accurate. Let me explain it. Right. And people are like, well, I don't get it. Why yeah. would Maduro yeah. just grab right. and put a new national assembly? And I'm like, because they're corrupt. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, um, I think because yeah. we're so close. We're so close to it, and we've been following it for all of our lives. But people, to be frank, I think people are not even aware of what's going on. The majority of people are not aware of what is going on in Venezuela at all. I don't think they realize how bad it is that um, down there. So I think this has brought to light um, many issues that people were not aware of before. Um, and and I you... guess... I, uh -huh. I, 
sorry, go ahead. No, continue, continue, please. Sorry. No, no, that's, that's the purpose of this letter also. Like, get the voice across, get the message clear, what's going on on behalf mm -hmm. of all Venezuelans that can't or they're censored. Of course. The fact that now Venezuela is a, a topic in the news and has been for a while, just little by little catching up on to uh, the big boom that is in the media today. Uh, do you believe that the refugee crisis was what sparked the whole topic in the first place? Because I don't recall there being so much um, news coverage when the humanitarian crisis. Right. Yes. Um, when the humanitarian crisis was going on, like, yes, people were surprised and they, they spoke about it on the news. But uh, right. do, do you believe that the refugee crisis was what um, caused it? I, I, I think it definitely influenced um, the media coverage because what's happening now, it's like the refugee crisis affects um, so many other countries, not only the U.S., but are the neighbors in Latin America. Colombia, uh, Ecuador, the electricity the that happened in Ecuador, uh, Brazil, you know, these countries, they've, Argentina, they've been very generous. And, and we actually think, we thank all these countries for, for hosting all these Venezuelans. But the thing is, it's, that's, that's, an economic, that's, that's a cost for their countries too. Their refugees are filling up their hospitals. Um, you know, it's become many countries' problems. It's not only Venezuela's problem. So I think it's in the best interest. I think all the interests are aligned to have a peaceful transition of power. And of course, as I stated before, um, if anyone wants to read the letter, it's on medium.com. And I want to thank you, Adriana, for coming on the show today. And just talking a little bit about uh, the reality of the situation because um, this is a real thing that's going on and this is uh, something that uh, can actually have a higher chance of freeing our country from this absolutely horrible dictatorship. Um, even if, you know, it's a dictatorship in a narco state and um, it's people like you and me thankfully, that uh, are out there and speaking the truth. And we hope to see Venezuela free very, very soon. So thank you so much. I, I feel it's coming soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's extremely important to state the truth and be a voice for injustice. And Adriana does just that. Thank you so much, Adriana, for being on the show, giving us some insights. And hopefully, the next time you're on the show, will be free from dictatorship at last. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Stay tuned next week. Same time, same place, 95.3 FM at 7 p.m. And if anything, please follow me on my social media, La Brocolina, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hope everyone has a great night.